Welcome to AquaFarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of AquaFarm, uh, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy here at East State University. R.I.P. Bill Gatton, uh, our, our founding uh, donor namesake, passed away recently. So R.I.P. to Mr. Gatton. Lots and lots to cover today on the pod, so let's get right into it. First, I want to start with... Um, uh, the, the lowest quality publication uh, that I'm talking about today, and that's because this is a, a retrospective single center review uh, from MD Anderson of treatment-free remission in patients with CML. This is on my, on my radar at, at Hope a couple weeks ago. Uh, a, couple, a couple gentlemen from MD Anderson gave a great talk on treatment-free remission in CML, and I actually commented to some folks afterwards after um, hearing them present their data. Shout out to those guys if they're listeners. Um, you know, I, I was aware of some of this data for these folks uh, with CML who've been on their TKI for two to three years and have had deep um, molecular remissions or responses. You know, generally you can stop their TKI and about half the time the disease doesn't come back. And in the other half, when the disease starts to come back, you put them right back on the same TKI and they go into remission. And I'd seen a few of those studies. There was a lot more data out there than I knew. And I commented afterwards how... Uh, homogenous it was. It was all the same. It's like you kept getting this 40 to 50% value of long-term remissions, stopping your TKI. Uh, and so it's in that, that setting that this publication came out. Um, it was, uh, I guess, uh, accepted March 25th, published, I don't know, not too long ago. Anyway, uh, this is the MD Anderson experience doing this. And they are reporting a five-year treatment-free remission rate of 79%. It's not the 50% that you see elsewhere. Uh, and this is also, you know, more than 280-some patients. So the, it's a really large study um, looking at this. So just to give you an, uh, an example, the uh, Inest Freedom Trial, which is how nilotinib got their label to say that you could do, you could explore a treatment-free period uh, with nilotinib. That study was 215. So it's even larger than the, the randomized trial that got nilotinib to have the, the label uh, allow for this. So what is different about these patients at MD Anderson that they're having treatment-free remission rates of four out of five patients instead of like half patients, which is what you see over and over again. Um, so part of this, you know, they're talking about uh, all patients with Philly positive CML treated our institution between October 1999 uh, and February 2017. I was in high school in October 1999, who subsequently continued therapy were uh, reviewed. Um, and, you know, you could talk about the, the so-called predictors of treatment-free remission, whether it's prior interferon, deeper uh, MMR, um, and, and that's true. You know, if you have MMR 5, 4.5, you're going to more likely to have a treatment-free remission than MMR 4. Um, and maybe, you know, a, a, a second generation like the satin, maybe that uh, would correlate to a better treatment-free remission rate. But it seems to be the difference between this data set and the other data sets um, is that these folks were on their TKIs for a longer period of time. You know, the, the median duration of TKI treatment from diagnosis until when they discontinued was, was 9.75 years. You know, it's a, a long time. And in their, in their univariate and then finally their multivariate analysis, the only thing 
that was uh, a predictor for, for uh, treatment-free remission. And again, if 80% are, are having treatment-free remission, you know, even the people who are, are doing bad in this data set are probably having treatment-free remission rates of like 50%, so keep that in mind. But the, the only predictor, or, or, or correlate, I should say, was an MMR to four and a half for more than five years. So it looks like the longer you're on your TKI, the, the more likely you are to, to be able to have a treatment-free remission. Now, does that mean you should put everyone on this for five years and then try it? I, I don't think so. I think if, you're, if you meet the criteria in our guidelines for, you know, you, you've been on it for a couple years, you've got, you know, that deep MMR, deep remission, and, um, you know, you have access to reliable PCR testing for B-seriable transcripts and you can get back on it. Uh, go ahead and try it early, because if it doesn't work, you can go right back on the drug, is what we see. And maybe what, what it ends up being is you, you try two years first, and if at two years that doesn't lead to a treatment-free remission, then maybe you try three years. And if that doesn't work, then you try, I don't know, four years. Maybe it's something like that. We'll see. Anyway, that was something that was on my radar. Uh, interesting study uh, from Kentar uh, Ginaldo's Leukemia Folks, MD Anderson. This was published in the American Journal of Hematology, it looks like. Yeah. Okay. Next, the not-so-agile agile study, uh, already much maligned uh, on, uh, on the social media and the internet. This was just published uh, yesterday in the New England Journal of Medicine. It's ivocidinib and azacitidine in IDH1 mutated AML. And again, my trick for avocidinib, avocidinib to remember it's the IDH1, is the letter I is Roman numeral 1. IDH1. Uh, anyway, so this is ivocidinib plus azacitidine versus azacitidine. And there are, there are a lot of problems with this study, which I won't go into. It just, you know, if you're... All right, so here's the problem. So it's avocidinib, ivocidinib plus azacitidine versus placebo and azacitidine. Seems like a very fair question to ask. Now, after you progress on the placebo plus azacitidine arm, most of those folks probably would get ivocidinib. Okay, uh, only two people did. Only 2.7, and that's 2.7 of the whole that whole cohort got a drug that works, and that <laughs> for this disease state, kind of a standard second line drug, and only two percent of people got it. Um, only uh, less than 10% of people got venetoclax, another drug that's very active in this patient population. So this, this design of this study is kind of like if you were designing a study to look at um, you know, double covering for Pseudomonas and you randomize patients to um, cefepime plus tobramycin to cefepime. And if, the, and if the bug didn't clear on cefepime, then they could go on and get, um, you know, anti-metabolites <laughs> like vancomycin or drugs that don't really have great activity against pseudomonas, you know, and, and only 2% of people got, uh, got a fluoroquilone, only 2% or 10% got a carbapenem. You know, it's just, it's just a ridiculous design, and I can't believe it got a New England Journal of Medicine publication. It's not even Lancet Oncology. I mean, this is like, I don't know. It's, Amer it's an American Journal of Hematology. It's like a, it should be like a single center review type of study. Anyway, enough about Agile, which is clunky. All right, uh, one update. Uh, the Keynote 177, probably the fifth time I've talked about this. This is Pembro versus Chemo for MSI High uh, Metastatic Colorectal Cancer. This is the final overall survival analysis. Does not show a statistically significant improvement in overall survival analysis. Just one thing I want to point out. Um, if you look at the hazard ratio here, the hazard ratio is 0 0.74 uh, for overall survival. The confidence intervals 0.53 to 1.03 p-values, not 
statistically significant. It's 0 0.036, needed to be 0 0.025 to be significant. Now, the hazard ratio assumes that, or the log rank test, I guess, assumes that the risk, the hazard of death is equal during the entire study period. And that is not the case because the curves cross at about eight months. This is something we see over and over again in, in chemo versus immune checkpoint inhibitor studies oftentimes, is that initially the chemo uh, does better uh, in the whole population, but in the long run, the immune checkpoint inhibitor does. That's what we see here. Um, so that hazard ratio of 0.74, you know, is saying there's a 26% lower risk of death in the ICI arm all the way along this whole study time, which is not true because the curves cross, okay? So instead of doing a log rank test, if they had simply done a like a three-year landmark overall survival analysis, you would see that 61% um, of people randomized to Pembro were alive compared to 50% with chemo. And I'm sure that would have been statistically significant. Now, it would have taken longer to do that, and which meant the drug company would have lost out on people, you know, doing Pembro first for a couple of years. Um, but, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, you know, a number to treat of less than 10 to keep one person alive three years later with a metastatic disease. Pretty, pretty, pretty robust benefit, uh, if you ask me. So I still, this, this confirms, I think, what everyone's been doing, which is Pembro first line for these folks uh, with MSI high cancer. I think you could argue maybe to do chemo for a couple cycles and people who have, you know, very fast progressive disease because an immune checkpoint number is going to take a while uh, to work. And then finally, talk about Checkmate 816. This is another revisiting sort of uh, study. This was first mentioned uh, on this pod last month in March um, after the FDA approval of nivolumab in the neoadjuvant setting for three cycles, along with three cycles of platinum-based chemo for non-small cell lung cancer uh, that was resect surgically resectable and either had a, uh, a tumor greater than four centimeters or was node positive, which equates to 2B disease and, and higher. Uh, now this was, you know, had not been published at the time and I had not heard about this. So lo and behold, um, last week, this was published online early, Checkmate 816 in the New England Journal of Medicine. Okay, so let's go through this again. Uh, we got about 180 people on each arm, Nevo plus chemo or chemo, platinum doublet, all right? So carbapaclitaxel, cisplatin, pemetrexid, cisgem, okay? Um, plus nivolumab. Now, uh, nivolumab was every three weeks to align with chemo, only three cycles, Right, so three cycles, then surgery, then the investigators, and this was not known at the FDA approval, could choose to do adjuvant radiation or adjuvant chemo. And like 22% got adjuvant chemo in the chemo-only arm and 11% in the adjuvant um, Nevo arm, okay? So who were these patients, all right? So 50% uh, of these patients were in Asia. The rest were you know, in, in North America, Europe, and a few other places, but mostly in Asia. 63% were 3A, the rest being 1B or uh, stage 2 patients. 1B, including a study, but not part of the FDA approval because 1B patients have a tumor that's less than 4 centimeters. It's about 50-50 between non-squamous and squamous. Um, a plurality of patients had a PD-1 less than 1%, uh, so, uh, so like 43-44, uh, most were PDL1 positive, 28% had a PDL1 of 1 to 49%, about 22% above 50%. And if you're doing your math real quick, no, those numbers don't add up to 100%. They're about 6% where we could not evaluate PDL1 in the study. More than 70% of patients in the study received cisplatin 
as their platinum doublet, not carboplatin. Uh, baseline or top line results we've talked about, there was a, a statistically significant improvement in event free survival favoring nivolumab and pathologic complete response rate. So the median event free survival was 31 and change for Nevo versus 20.8 months for just the chemo arm. Those event free survival curves are uh, overlapping for nine months and then they separate fairly impressively. Uh, that's a hazard ratio of 0.63. Now, when we look at the subgroup analysis, there are a few outliers. One outlier is in the patients treated in Asia. That was a hazard ratio of 0.45. Uh, those with stage 3A disease had a lower hazard ratio at 0.54 than the rest of their cohorts with 1B or 2 disease. The more PDL1 that was expressed, uh, whether it was more than 1%, 1 to 49, or greater than 50, especially, much larger impact on event free survival. There was also an outlier in those who received uh, carboplatin with that hazard ratio being 0.31 and cisplatin being 0.71. And we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but it, sh it certainly looks like when you look at the subgroup analysis that only the po patients that got carbo uh, benefited in terms of event-free survival. But keep in mind the vast majority of people got cisplatin. So this, oh no, no, sorry, I have that backwards. No, no, I have that right, yeah. That, the carbohazard ratio was 0.31. Now, only 72 patients in the whole study got carboplatin. But it sure looks like, in a ratio, comparing the carbo with Nevo to, to, to just carbo chemo alone, uh, larger benefit in carbo relative to, to cisplatin. We'll revisit that uh, later. Okay, so then if we look at our pathologic complete response rates, 24% versus 2%, 2.2%. So, so a huge, you know, percentage increase in pathologic complete response rate, which, you know, means when the when the surgeon goes in and does their little dicky dicky do and takes out the tumor, uh, a pathologic complete response means it's all necrotic. Don't see any viable signs of tumor, uh, which is great news because if there's nothing living in the tumor, then any areas of micrometastatic disease are probably also gone too. We hope. Now, when we look at PCR, which probably has nothing to do with the surgery, only has to do with the drugs given beforehand, we see there, there are no geographic outliers. There's no outlier by staging, right? So 3A versus 1B or 2A, no outlier. We do see outliers for PDL1 status, which should you know, affect the response to nivolumab. And we do see outliers by, uh, by which platinum is used. So I'll give you the pathologic complete response rates here by, by which platinum was used in which, uh, which cohort. So if they got carboplatin and just carbochemo, so carbopaclitaxel, it was just carbopaclitaxel. It was the only carboregimens. So if you got carbopaclitaxel, 0% CR8. Now they only had three cycles, okay? If they got nivolumab, that went to 30.8% pathologic complete response rate pretty big. Now, 30.8% 30 with Nevo and a carbo regimen is numerically higher than the 21.8% seen with cisplatin-based chemo and nivolumab. And if you got cisplatin-based chemo alone, that pathologic complete response rate was 2.2%. So there's almost an 8% absolute difference, small samples, in pathologic complete response rate, which makes it look like Nevo plus carbo is a much better, comp maybe not much better, it appears that maybe Nevo plus carbo is a better neoadjuvant combination with neo Nevo plus cisplatin, even though cisplatin is more active. The only thing I can think of why that would be, would be that, and this is PCR, okay? So this isn't like event-free survival, that sort of stuff. 
uh, is that maybe when you're giving cisplatin, you're going to be giving some some dexamethasone most likely as an antiemetic, and maybe that decreases the effectiveness of nivolumab. Certainly a, a concern that we have, and I uh, w wonderful project for somebody to work on uh, at some point. So we have here some things, some some outliers suggesting a different uh, benefit of the drugs based on PDL1 status. Uh, but then we also have some things that maybe would be affected by the surgical outcomes. And there are, this is, the, the cure comes from surgery, right? This is resectable non-small cell lung cancer. So now I'm not smart enough to flesh out all these differences and what they mean. But there are some, some differences in the surgical outcomes here. So if you look at length of stay, the length of stay in the U.S. on average is like four days versus 10 or 11 elsewhere in the world. Is it because other surgeons are, are, are better? Is it because the American healthcare system kicks you out? I don't know. But there was, you know, a trend towards more minimally invasive procedures in, in the U.S. There was more R0 resection in the nivolumab group, meaning there's, you know, we, we got it all, so to speak, uh, in the nivolumab group. Now, that makes sense if by adding a third drug to your new advent treatment, the surgery becomes easier and the, the tumors shrink, and that's great. Um, there was an absolute increase or difference in the percentage of definitive surgery, so surgery where they are intending to remove everything, 8% higher in the nivolumab arm. And almost half of that difference can be accounted for by disease progression that happened to a greater, a greater extent in the chemo-only group versus the nevo plus chemo group. There was also a greater use of pneumonectomies outside the U.S., especially in those uh, in the chemotherapy only arm, the rates of the rates of lobectomy work the same in the U.S. if they got chemo alone versus chemo plus nevo. Whereas elsewhere in the world, the folks that got chemo possibly due to poor you know response to neoadjuvant chemo, you know the surgeons in Asia and Europe were much more likely to to do a pneumonectomy in the chemo arm as opposed to a, a more minimally invasive or easier surgery a lobectomy. At least as I understand it. So, you know, this, this event-free survival different, you know, some of this could be drug effect, especially those that are pd one positive, but it maybe also is a surgical effect where maybe the surgeon in the U.S., you know, gave some folks in the chemo-only arm a lobectomy, which is a smaller resection, then a pneumonectomy, removing the whole lung than what they should have. Now, I don't know that. I don't know that. But that's, there's a difference in the data there. Um, I don't know if that's enough to explain the, that event-free survival difference between Asia and elsewhere. Uh, and again, patients in Asia made up, uh, you know, half the, half the study basically, so that's the largest cohort. Um, and the final thing here is there is a, it's almost jaw-dropping. There is a, there's a, a, a sizable separating of the overall survival curves um, between one and two years. And, you know, that could be that we're curing more folks, and we, we tend. To, we, it looks like we see that in the event-free survival curves. Um, but those folks who got chemo alone could have received first-line, you know, uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor uh, when they when they relapsed or if they did relapse. Uh, and it, I think the the subsequent treatment group, you know, was something like around twenty percent got got supplement immune checkpoint inhibitors. So the overall survival, more to be seen on that. I think the event-free survival. Uh, and the number of cured uh, is something that we will see. But to be able to see an overall survival 
a trend like that within one year is pretty shocking. You know, the adjuvant atezolizumab study didn't show that after a 12 months of adjuvant atezolizumab. That benefit of disease-free survival appeared limited only to PD-L1 positive folks. And that brings us to, again, kind of what do the guidelines say now? Well, they say Nevo chemo uh, is a reasonable option in the new adjuvant setting. But if you do neoadjuvant Nevo chemo, don't use an immune checkpoint inhibitor in the adjuvant setting. And I think there, to me, I'm not an expert. It sure looks like Nevo chemo is a better approach versus neoadjuvant chemo followed by adjuvant uh, atezolizumab. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to to predict the final outcome of the uh, the basketball game when we're in, you know, when it's at halftime maybe, and it's a fairly close game. So, you know, that's 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 Checkmate 16. Really going to be interesting to see um, a more complete analysis of, uh, of, I think, the surgical outcomes, which not my bread and butter to analyze, um, uh, and the overall survival. But I think, you know, three doses of Nevo up front, I, that approach makes more sense to me than, than uh, 12 months of an adjuvant immune checkpoint inhibitor. Um, I, I don't think you should do an adjuvant treatment for a year. Uh, that it's, it's almost like giving away the ball game. We know the disease is going to come back. We're just going to do this uh, up front. Um, but again, most of this benefit, you know, most of these patients were 3A patients. So in those folks that are 3A, a lot of those are into difficult surgery, neoadjuvant, chemo, um, plus, um, plus nevolumab looks, looks pretty darn good based on Checkmate 816. Nice to see this publication so quick after the FDA approval. That's all I have for today. Thank you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNib, and you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.